You ever wake up and you plugged in your devices that night, but then you wake up and the worst has happened? Just they weren't plugged in at all? The unplug. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, oh. Per- what percent are you on? What are we talking? Everything is <laughs> as Limp Bizkit said. No? That's going over your head? Well, I mean, what Limp Bizkit keep no, rolling? Everything is... <laughs> You don't really know why, but you oh, gotta justify yeah, 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 that, yeah. that why. Come on. <laughs> Come on. Come on. Sorry, I didn't know we were going to break stuff. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's great. Great tune. His best one. All star music video, if you remember that. Were you a music video kid? We're oh, going off the rails. Buddy, <laughs> of course I was a yeah, music yeah, yeah. video kid. All star cast. Yeah, I'm a nineties baby. Yeah. Music videos were my my whole life. Yeah. There was nothing more disappointing than when you would wait for your video on countdown. And then they would be like, and who came in at number 17 this week and we're skipping over to you like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. oh. Meanwhile, Limp Biscuit rising one to 16 on yeah. the 15. How dare you? <laughs> that was a way you would hear it. Oh, yeah. That was like you would just, that was how you got that song. Yeah. And the worst was when you didn't know what a song was called and you heard it one time and you went, damn it, that's stuck in my head. Now I got to sit down and watch my shoes all day. <laughs> yeah, for, for six out, hours. Figure out what the hell that song was. <laughs> So I can rip it and put it on a burnt CD that's going to take 48 hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, good times, bro. Those are the days. <laughs> that was it. Those were the times. I was actually, I was listening to somebody talk about this recently, and it's so true about how you used to have to, now we're doing like real back in the day stuff, yeah, I promise, yeah. so get back on track. But how, because you had to buy a CD for 25 bucks, you just were forced to sit with the album. And oh, so yeah. it would grow on you. Yeah, and you'd, you'd like really get to, to know song, the album. But yeah. there would be times where you'd listen to it and go, I don't like this album. But then you, you went, I spent $25. I got to listen to this again. And so you would listen to it three or four times. And then the fourth time through, you'd go, you know what? This is actually pretty damn good. And that happens to me a lot now where I get albums or I get the artists on my Spotify. They go, hey, this guy's released a new album or this is coming out. I try to pay someone attention, but it gets harder and harder the older you get. For just, sure. This is just a part of becoming older is... Music, you're just out. Music is done for you. I you, listen to the same stuff I listened to 15 years ago. And see, I'm, I'm a tryhard. I'm a tryhard. So I keep trying to stay connected yeah. to the new stuff. I do. I, I try to keep some connection. Finger some, on the pulse. Yes. Even though it's the worst. Because I know I'm just Buscemi with the skateboard over his shoulder. <laughs> whenever a kid talks to me about, right? Like Jobo comes up to me and he's talking. What do you think about this? I'm like, oh, I don't want to talk to you about this. Because I don't respect your opinion as a youth. <laughs> And I sound cringy as an old. So this is a no-win. This is a this is an area that's supposed to unite us, but we could not be further divided <laughs> in discussing music. But if you can ever, and I, I do this a lot, people will text me about my reaction to albums now after the first day or two that it comes out. And now I'm just, I got to wait. I got to listen to the third time through. If it's an artist that I actually like and respect, I got to give it three spins, not just the emotional immediate take and then rip a, an album. Yeah. What I will say is I'm enough times now through the new Drake album to say that Drake is washed. <laughs> it's over. It's over. That has been we had a great run. We had, hey, everybody, we had a great run. It was amazing. We were at the top of the world, and he's yeah. still one of the most influential artists in all of hip-hop ever. And guess what? He's had some corny moments, but he's our guy, and I will always be a, a Drake fan. Yeah. Always. And there are, there are a couple, there are, I would say he has three that to me go down in like the tippity top of the Hall of Fame, but it's over now. It's over. <laughs> it's, 
done. It's completely over. Don't cry because it's over. No, smile because it happened. I, and you know? I do. And I do. I smile. That's uh, that. I'm not even joking. I listened the third time. I listened to it through, and I went, nope. <laughs> <laughs> There's maybe two songs that I went. I could see myself putting onto a playlist, but not really. They're not even that great. But I, I thought that I got sentimental. Going, man, I'll never forget 2016. And people, a lot of people hate views. But Views was the last truly great one to me because it was just that summer, 2016. Yeah, yeah. It was that was the the album of the summer, and I went. I missed that. I missed the the feeling of man. Drake's releasing something. This is going to be played everywhere I go. I'm gonna have this in my headphones over and over and over again. I'm gonna ask. I'm gonna ask for os. Oh my god, ask for aux chords. Stuff. Sorry. Maybe that's a new that's a new one for me. Red leather, yellow leather. Yeah, yeah. Ask for aux chords. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, okay, back on track. Back on track. Back on track. Back on track. All right. Good stuff. You guys were talking before the show today about Aaron Rodgers and him doing all the throwing before the football game, and Aaron Rodgers saying to who was it, Derwin James? Derwin James, yeah. yeah that he'd be back in a couple of weeks. I've never hated. I've I've never hated any athlete more than I hate Aaron Rodgers. I'm right with now. you. I'm so sick of it. Dude, you got hurt. It's a tough break. Yeah. It sucks. So bad. Relinquish some of the attention. Yeah. It's so clear too. Now thinking back about him and that Kelsey little squabble oh, they yeah. had with the Pat McAfee show. It's just pure jealousy. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers is just furious that he didn't date Taylor Swift. Not because he thinks she's cute. Because he just wants to be the center of attention. This that is his dream. Oh yeah. His dream is to be what is happening with Travis Kelsey and his podcast going number one and his jersey being the number one seller and a whole new crop of fans figuring out who he is. This has been Aaron Rodgers' goal along. I just the Jets stink. The Jets are done. The offense is not good enough. They screwed up by keeping Zach Wilson. It's over. Same with Drake and same with the Jets. <laughs> two things are over today. Those two things. All right? Actually, there's the third, which I'm going to get to in like two seconds. But Aaron Rodgers doing this whole, I'm going to come back. I'm going to break the land speed record for Achilles. Achilles recovery. And just every day doing the showy throwing on the sideline and us going, it's a miracle. It's not. It's not a miracle. I'm sure it's hard. I'm sure that I wouldn't be standing there throwing a football on the field. I also don't have the top doctors in the world. I'm not yeah. a professional athlete. I'm, I, it's, it's well documented that athletes heal faster than the regular human. It, it just it makes sense. You're in way better shape. If Aaron Rodgers has to step out on a football field in a few weeks and behind that Jets offensive line, yeah. he's going to... He's going to be short like, return. He's going to have to be amputated. They're going to have to take <laughs> off his leg because it's going to get destroyed. He's going to, he'll never walk again. So like, I just don't know why we're, 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 we're entertaining this. I don't understand why I don't either. this has become such a thing where we go, look at Aaron Rodgers, throw it on the sideline. I've never been more sick of anything that when, I know this is a little hypocritical because I'm doing a radio show with my name on it. <laughs> so clearly I like attention. Who doesn't? Some don't. I do. <laughs> Hand up. I like attention. It's nice. I like getting the attention. Sometimes even negative attention, which is when I go, oh, you're sick. <laughs> oh, you're sick. You're sick, Poppy. But Aaron Rodgers, this is the most 
this is just the most egregious example I can remember in a very long time of a guy just begging to be seen, begging to have people talk about him, doing the McAfee show, the, the, the standing on the sidelines every time. Poor Zach Wilson, he just... He can't even focus on doing the job because Aaron Rodgers is right there over his shoulder every single week. Like, oh, and the broadcast like cuts to Aaron Rodgers and he's like shaking his head. And you're like, oh man, like we all knew knew that Zachy boy shouldn't have taken that seventh sack or whatever, but we don't need to see Aaron Rodgers also dude, be disappointed just, in it. It's just so much. Yeah. It's just way too much. He loves the attention and some guys thrive under it. Some guys don't mind it. I actually thought about this last night with the Leafs game is how... Max Domi plays center and he has his best game as a Maple Leaf. Like he had the two, he had the two assists in Matthew Nyes in the one game and people lost their minds and said, Domi's back. And then he basically disappeared. They put him at center last night and he was going, had his best game as a Leaf. And he had that little bit of nastiness to his game. He's, he's throwing punches. He's throwing cross checks. He's in on the four check. He's doing all the things that I was kind of promised with Max Domi, which is, Hey, the guy has skill, but he's also a little mean. And he's not afraid to mix it up a little bit. And yeah, he knows he's not his dad and isn't going to just try to drop the gloves with everybody every night. But there is going to be an element of physicality and nastiness to his game. The little bit of snot. And I went, you know, as much as the limelight and the pressure is going to be annoying for this guy, he's, he's probably going to end up just fine. He's probably just going to deal with this all right. He's going to have his lows. It's going to be a little difficult with him given the name, the expectation. But ultimately, he's played in Montreal. He's been Max Domi his whole life. This is fine. I'm starting to wonder the opposite about Tyler Bertuzzi is if he's starting to regret playing here. The grind of media every day, your face going everywhere. I've always said to me it's a little overstated. I think a lot of athletes cry about it. I think a lot of loser athletes make excuses about it because they'd rather play in flip-flops their entire career and not be seen and collect their millions of dollars and just go golfing. And that's enough. That's a life for them, which is fine, but no one will remember your name. And great, you know, you, you accomplished a lot, but your name's not going to be engraved on a Stanley Cup. And even if it is, we're going to go, oh, right, he was on that team. There's clearly, what, 8 to 12 markets in the NHL that truly matter. And if you don't have the guts to play on them, it's fine. But it, it just, there, there is a resonating effect for the rest of your career. There is the way that we are going to remember you or, for, or not remember you. And I, like, Bertuzzi is a guy where I went, man, he played in Detroit. It's one of the ones that mattered. He elevated his game in Boston. It's one of the ones that mattered. He really feels like he fit in with the Bruins. He turned down that money. And he wasn't horrible yesterday by any stretch of the imagination. But I, I think he's on a line that he doesn't really fit on. And I, he, to me, anyways, just a little bit of body language looking from the outside. He, he already seems a little exhausted by the movement throughout the lineup, the, the benchings. The, the stories being about him, the media attention. And I, I think he's a guy that actually really needs a break coming here soon. Or, yeah, the Leafs could potentially lose him. And, and this thing just never never turns around and never materializes into what they want it to be. Anyway, uh, the inventor of the Clever app, two-time Stanley Cup champion. Someone who, yeah, does get to play in a market that mattered and won. Christopher Stieg, what's up, brother? How are we doing? Well, I hid my cat in the closet, so hopefully nice. he doesn't come out and bother us. Yeah, <laughs> except for, you know, cat's just in there. Yeah. Please, let me out. Yeah. 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 So, it, it's really, really bothers you that much, eh, the cat? Like, just being around? Uh, it's just like I get in the flow, and then all of a sudden he's in my ear. So, yeah, yeah don't call animal <laughs> services on me. Right no, now. nobody will. Uh, 
What do you? I don't know if you heard my little diatribe there I about did. Bertuzzi, but yeah, I know you started slow with the Leafs and then you heated up. But how much does it weigh on you playing in a in a place where there is that much attention? And you know, you're the you're one of the guys. People want you to succeed. They expect you to succeed. Succeed, man. I suck today. I, I got. I've, I've like tripped over my own words like four times. But yeah, what is it like being in that position? Because you've done it. It's hard. You, you come into this well, again. You know how I've kind of used the Doug Gilmore. No one ever thought I was Doug Gilmore. Yeah. But and then they get Doug Glatt. Essentially, that's kind of the way I talk about my time with the Leafs. When guys come in, they come in with high expectations. The media, the fans, they have this. Um, way of building these players up to something they're not, but not actually understanding the value they bring at what they're doing. Now, I'm not saying Bertuzzi's playing great, Domi, Klingberg, you can kind of blanket it across those guys. But what happens is, again, myself, very similar situation. You come in, you have a weak start. So I had two points in 11 games. A narrative starts to build. The media starts to create a narrative. The fans start to create a narrative. And then it becomes almost unshakable. And then when the media jumps on it, I'm going to throw Nick Kiprios under the bus with myself personally. You know, all of a sudden it's like Chris wants a trade. Chris doesn't like it here. Chris this. And then all of a sudden one turnover turns to this. And I watched John Klingberg the other day and it's like, well, he does a soft wrister and he must not now want to play here because he took a one footed wrist shot. You know, it's like these narratives start to create. And that's the problem with the players is okay. You are now, they, they're not playing great right now. I don't think they're playing terrible either. Similar to myself. I wasn't playing good at all. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden, the next 30 games, I have 30 points. And I'm kind of trying to use this as a bit of a benchmark compared to what I think these guys can do too. That was never really talked about. Mm-hmm. Everyone remembered the, the terrible start. Someone keying my car, spitting on my car. And then they don't really remember what you're doing because the narrative has been created about, oh, this guy comes here, he doesn't want to be here, then the the media jumps on. And that's where I get scared Mm. for those guys is when the narrative starts to spin and the the news starts to cycle and then one little micro-mistake becomes magnified. So, again, let's look at John Klingberg. I could look at multiple parts of his game, defending, he's got happy feet. I think that's just because who he is and he's, he's not being coached great right now. We don't need to go there. But I just think the narrative starts to spin. It starts to build. And even when the guys start to play well, the wave is so high that it's it's coming crashing down at some point. So the pressure is is big. You're mm-hmm. coming into the biggest market in hockey. you got to understand that it's hard to deal with. I think it's when the excess BS starts to compound and even things that aren't true start to make its way into the stories. And no matter how you're doing, doesn't matter because the wave is essentially not turning back the other way. And, I, and there's a lot of athletes. Now, some just continuously don't play well. Some can't handle that pressure. Some don't want to handle exactly what you're saying. I still think that these guys are figuring it out. They're finding their way. And I hope when their games start to turn, Bertuzzi's game is going to turn mm. at some point. He's got to get, get, again, a little more simple figure out where Keith wants him. Essentially, I see his minutes are getting back up, but where he needs to be successful on the ice with these top end guys, he's going to play it to Bears and, and Nylander and then Matthews, and he's going to go up and down. But that's kind of what he is. He's versatile. But what he's got to do is just, again, get back to being simple, playing hard, get gritty, and, and do what makes Tyler Bertuzzi successful. And when that happens, he's going to want to see that, oh, now they're jumping on his side, mm-hmm. you know? And like it's like this wave of, 
negativity isn't coming crashing down even when the tide starts to turn essentially. So I think those guys are fine. You talk about Max Domi playing center the other day. Max likes to play center because he is a creative guy. He likes to control the puck in the center of the ice, the middle of the ice. And I think that's why you saw him play one of his best games. I still don't think it's the solution going forward if you're trying to win a Stanley Cup because I think Max is that guy similar to Bertuzzi in and out the lineup, up and down the lineup, left, right, center. They're Swiss Army knives, essentially. Bertuzzi doesn't play center, but they can kind of go up and down and give you different looks. So I think that helps Max. Uh, it helps Tyler. Uh, but again, just building their games, building the confidence. And as the year goes on, um, you know, when they do do well, essentially build them up. That's the biggest thing. I, we're not, I'm not looking for handouts for these guys or mm-hmm. whatever. I just understand on the personal side what it was. Like, mm-hmm. it, it's hard to dig back out of that in a market that where hockey matters so much. And if a narrative gets creative, it's hard to build out. Yeah. And and that's what I'm saying about with Bertuzzi is it, it feels like it's on the precipice of that. I, I just think it here it's hard. And especially right now with social media and shows like mine. And I, I like I do this as well. So I'm not pointing fingers at people. It's just you live. Well, the, you have to. We get it. Like, we but get, it's right? not even that I have to. It's just like I, I try to get better at it every day in terms of the balance of it, of not trying to ride the, the roller coaster as much. Right. But I do feel as though there's so much emotion tied to this team right now. And the expectations are so high. And there's some people who just want to say, I told you so they're losers. And I, I hate watching this. It's just, it's like a lot of things in our world right now where we try to make sports just a nice, easy escape, but it can be as polarizing as a lot of things, which is frustrating because sports are pretty stupid and it's supposed to be mostly fun and for kids. And <laughs> the, the rest of us adults that are kind of still swimming in it, uh, like me that are trading and get upset about some of the opinions, it, it drives me crazy when I catch myself doing it. But yeah, I think with this team, especially, you, you see the, the potential of them because of the high-end skill. And you think about what was promised let's say with this group the 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 promise that they had the hope that these people that this fan base had when they first put them together and all these things are tied together on a night in night out thing and and this is what i this is what i worry about with a guy like producing i'm not saying it wasn't hard for you of course it was it was a pain in the ass i I didn't know somebody keyed your car you never told me that Uh, that's an interesting new little factoid did you have but you're the kind of guy who would have you know Stegalicious as his vanity plate and so it was probably yeah yeah i was gonna say that it was really easy to pick you out uh you might have just been because the plate was douchey but yeah it just it it really when people go play in the parade after a win and then they go, oh, cancel the parade after a loss, I think it does bother some Leaf fans still because the way the fan base reacts from game to game sometimes is so intense. And so if you're Bertuzzi, it's just that that's it. I wonder if that part of it has shocked him a little is the pressure within the group, the way that the coach handles it when things are going wrong, and then just how quick the spotlight shines on you and how hard it is to get it off. And you talked about, hey, he's got to keep it simple. All right, that's what Keith said too. I, I get it, but if you're him, you came here and people go, hey, you're making $5.5 million under a real capped out team. You got to score 30 goals and you got to be one of the nasty players. But then he's taking penalties and he's not scoring and he's not having a positive impact. And it feels like he has to dial back the parts of him that make him special. He just, and then he's playing with two guys that, Nylander's a good playmaker. Tavares can set up a teammate too, but 
both guys are right now shoot first, right? Nylander likes to ha- hold on to the puck for long periods of time. Tavares likes to put it towards the net when it touches his stick. I don't know if it's a natural fit for Bertuzzi either. So it's just, it's a lot of things that seem to be working against him right now is all I'm saying. I, let's go back to the emotion and the fan base and what they can be mad at. I think that's what feeds into Bertuzzi. And it is my question. Has this team over the last seven years ever played with a ton of emotion? Mm, like, sparingly. I, sparingly. Start of the season. Austin Matthews, we talked about it. That emotion when he was screaming, and again, he did it the other night. He's asking the fans, please stand up. Yeah, he's I been just great. scored a goal. Please stand up. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if there's a little bit of between the team and the fan base. Like this team goes out, Austin Matthews scores a hat trick, half the team building's not even standing. I've always wondered if that piece could mm-hmm. play into the emotion of the team. And that piece for a guy like Bertuzzi, again, you go back to that, let's go back to that Boston play in itself, right? Like, mm-hmm. th- that can't happen. When something like that happens, your team needs to be ready to pounce. The guys don't need to be ready to fight, but as a team, you need to come in and defend your player, grab the guy, and act like you care, have that emotion. Bertuzzi, that is everything about his game, is the emotion. Mm-hmm. So back to me thinking is how much is it being tempered by the staff? I don't know. How much does Keith want him just to play hockey? Or is, is he still trying to find that balance of what Keith wants in his emotion dedicated to the game and playing the line? We all want to play the line, but he's a guy that needs to play on it to play extremely well, similar to bunting. It's hard to control. So maybe mm-hmm. Keith has some PTSD with bunting and sees similarities in Bertuzzi. That's but if point. you're going to get the best out of this kid, you need to play with the emotion. So mm-hmm. those are little aspects where I wonder, it's like, well, why is Bertuzzi not doing anything in that instance in, in Austin? Well, maybe, maybe it's because the coaching staff has asked him not to, to play on the line, which he still doesn't quite understand what the line is with Keith. Mm-hmm. I, you know what I mean? And then if you look at the entire team, you know, emotions, never really been the top guy's strongest suit. You know, they've never really jumped in for guys. I think that's something that I would love to see if I was ever the coach of that team. Not to say they got a fight, but just show they're there for each other. Like yeah, They like built this team with back. that in mind. Like, it, it has to be a part I, of it. Like I, they, I agree. This was it, it such a to, big but, part of what Tree Living so, did. So, but again, what's the disconnect? Is mm-hmm. it Tree or is it the coach to the team? Because the coach has been here for a while now, and that's never seemed to be the case. Like he that emotion, vocal. he was pretty vocal. He's like they held a team only meeting, they voiced their displeasure with it. He went publicly to the I media agree. with it. Of what was the? I can't remember the quote exactly, but it was something like we hated everything about it. The response. So I, I gotta feel the like line? there's no disconnection like, the with Keith and and Tree yeah. on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Well, what's the line from Keith to the player then? What is, because you as the player still need to understand what exactly the coach needs. There needs to be, you need to be super specific on here's my line. One guy gets touched, you're all going in. I don't care. We will Mm -hmm. kill the penalty. Have they been told that? Mm -hmm. Probably not. I I, I would assume, because if it happened and everyone knew the line or knew the understanding, I would assume they would all go in, Mm -hmm. in that instance. Again, back to Matthews, begging the fans to please stand up. Heck, I'd probably be begging that too because you watch some games and half the crowd's still sitting down. So the emotion 
to me is kind of twofold. Is it the coach? Sometimes it's the crowd. Sometimes it's the team, maybe not understanding it. And sometimes it's maybe the team sleeping. I mean, that might be threefold. So I don't really know what it always is. I just look at, okay, what's been the, the constant? It's been the coach, mm-hmm. same coach. New JM brings in new players. Uh, we bring in, let's go back to other guys in the past. They bring in certain players to try to bring up the emotion or the toughness or the skill. That never, ever gets put into the team. They never, you know, again, let's go back to Clifford, one dumb hit. But guys like that get brought in to create emotion, to create hardness, to, to do that. And it still feels like they were never utilized to do that. So, again, back to Bertuzzi, same thing. What is the line? What do you want me to do? How much emotion do you want me to play with? What is that? And maybe, again, Keith does have PTSD from other players in the past. I don't know. But that's where I start to think, and, and then I start to look about it being you know a player that's played in the past. Yeah, you know, it's tough too, though, because it's you, you've got a coach that people really are quick to criticize. Again, I've done it too. Haven't been the biggest fan of Keefe. Was surprised that he was brought back and thought that pretty much, it, it seemed anyways that one of the major reasons that Keefe did return was just a lack of options. That, that there just didn't seem to be another coach that was an obvious yeah. fit for Toronto. That They got sort of, they were late in the game when it came to... Um, yeah, their GM search. And, and I, 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 do, I do really believe that had Dubas stayed, he would have replaced him as coach, that they would have had to have something different and that that would have been one of the easiest places for them to do it. I think it was harder for the Leafs to do given their position of there was, um, yeah, there, there was some instability after Dubas left. There were people that were Dubas guys like Spezza who left there was some infighting within the organization among some people, and I thought that it was a good look for the organization that Tree Living and Keefe could sit down and just have a, a shared vision. I'm, I'm not. I'm, I understand that. I yeah. understand that bringing them back, especially yeah. Tree and his first time here, and you know, you got to get to know everything about the team. You come from an outsider, and you really don't know everything about this team until you actually see it for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I understand why Tree Tree kept him, and like you said, lack of options. Yeah, there was really nothing. Yeah, but where I was kind of going with it is, Keefe, one of the things that has driven me the most crazy is I feel like he treats every regular season game like we have to win, we have to win, we have to win. And routinely, um, one of the things that seems to bother players the most is when the lines are just always in a blender and you don't get to create chemistry with the line. And you feel like maybe I didn't have the best chance to <laughs> to do this properly. And I would, I would guess that that's rubbed some of these guys the wrong way uh, immediately, right? Like if you were Bertuzzi and you signed here on a one-year deal and it was with the idea that you were going to get a shot with Matthews and Marner and then you're pretty much ripped off that right away. Now you're with, like I said, two guys that it doesn't fit you as well. Uh, you're, you're seeing Matthew Nyes play better than you, but do exactly what you were kind of hoping to do, which is go fish a puck out of a corner and then have some nice touch in front of the net and play with a little bit of nastiness on the forecheck. Just, yeah, I, I could see how that's tough. I don't tough. mind Bertuzzi carrying his own line, though, like a third line. And, and understand Ooh. he got five million. You need third, you need, you know, 30 goals, yada, yada. Yeah. You need depth to win a Stanley Cup, too. I don't Sure, but mind. he wants to get paid, man, and that's going to be 13 yeah. minutes a night. That's, wow, you could find him with no minute. With no top power play either. You've talked about this before where it's yeah, like guys need that power play time. He's on, he's on PP two. That could be, again, have him have a third line. Um, you could move him down again. I know Nicholas Robertson got his first chance, but mm-hmm. 
you can still sparingly spot him to find him extra minutes in the top six here and there when Marner and Matthews go out after a penalty kill, or, or sorry, Matthews and Tavares and Nylander go out after a penalty kill. There's always sparingly, or there's always minutes where you can find guys these extra, mm. these guys extra offensive times or way, ways to get them extra minutes. You're right about the, the money side. That would be tough, but winning side, that makes sense. Like, put them on a but you've got to have guys bought in to win, right? That's yeah. the thing. I, and I, don't, yeah. I can't imagine that this guy's bought in right away. And this is, again, what I'm, I'm talking about with the Keefe conundrum is he's going, guys, I want us to be attention to detail. I want us to get out to a good start. I'm going to do these things to win because if we're winning, that will take some of this pressure off. If we're doing things the right way, then we won't have the media uh, eye of Sauron just ba- like boiling on us. The fans won't be pissed. We won't have the same... Twitter narratives about us. So I, I get why he presses to do these things, but in also doing that, playing the short game, not the long game with a lot of these guys, I, I wonder how it does impact the buy-in. And, and the one big positive I can say, and this is again, a last night thing is Matthews just seems like he's on a totally different level, not just from his health standpoint, but the attitude seems to be better. I loved, I don't know if you caught the post game. I didn't send it to you. I probably should have. Cause yeah, who did, but I don't know if you saw it on Twitter this morning, but man, they got booed after the first intermission and then Matthews was asked about it, and he went, yeah, that's fair, rightfully so. But when he was starting to gesture towards the fans again, he said, I didn't want them to go to sleep just yet, speaking <laughs> to kind of your point. And I, I love that. That's what I want from Matthews is just the, the overwhelming attitude that bleeds through the rest of the team, that he becomes the true leader. And, and maybe it doesn't have to be through the rah-rah speeches like some guys, like everyone can lead in their own, in their own way. But, yeah. Um, Let's I, go back to the booing part a second. Yeah, sure. Because I just two seconds. I love booing. Yeah, I, booing's great. Yeah, booing's and the best. Matthews is right. They yeah. deserve to get booed. But if you're going to boo, you better stand when they score. Hundred percent. That's it. And they don't. The fans don't support on that God, side. Oh, not the everyone. Fans. There are some. Can't believe we let you some. in the alumni box. I know. Yeah. But hey, last year playoffs, same problem. Yeah. You guys are down by two goals. Not one person was standing in the entire building. Mm-hmm. Not one person. These are things where if you're going to boo, then when it goes the other way, you better be cheering. And I love when Matthews again, hyping up mm-hmm. the fans. Get up. Stand mm-hmm. up. You're going to boo us. You better stand when I snipe. Yeah. I, I love it. I really do. Uh, if, if they can take that attitude, the FU attitude, I think it's great. The only thing is that us against the world mentality works until it, things start to go against you and it, it becomes an easy thing to blame. You right? don't want to go against your fan base. At all, I don't but think it's you do against want the fans. I think it's, I mean, against the world where it's, hey, nobody yeah. believes we can do this, and people give up on us quick, and even people in our own building will just start to boo us and quit on us early, give us a chance, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like the fan base booing this much is a little wild because they, they're doing it based on expectations and where they are. I understood well, they were down four one. Yeah, yeah, for a first period, and they're they're playing like junk. Yeah. Um, but the Kings, same thing. They're booed. They're booed in a couple games now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I understood more when we were getting booed in 2010 and Egos were flying past my head on the ice. Totally God, get I it. That. Yeah, we were junk. But yeah. this team's a good team. So there's going to be instances where they boo, but support when they're doing well. Mm-hmm. Really support when they're doing well. Yeah. I think the tough one, too, though, is... Looking at it right now, I'm pretty sure this is the case that the Leafs have given up at least four goals in every single home game 
yeah. daughter. Defensively, they're a mess. Yeah, but that's and it. We could, could you just imagine you're goal. paying that much for these tickets and, you know, yeah. you get excited. It's Tampa Bay. You bring your family. Okay, you you couldn't even afford it, right? You were begging people for free tickets to go to the Blackhawks yep. game because it's $1,000 for you to take just the, the two boys and, and go down. Plus, maybe a jersey. I feel sick sometimes for people when the Leafs just dog it out of the beginning. That's why I love the booing. I went, good, good, boo. At least booing is some energy. At least you're doing something rather than just sitting and then going into the Platinum Lounge and getting yourself a $13 beer after you got your selfie, right? After you got your picture from your seats of, ooh, look how nice my seats are. got my status symbol. Okay, cool. Time to check out for the rest of the night. Good. Booing is something. Booing is an emotion. I agree with you that it needs to be louder when, yeah, when things are going right. But God, I just, it's tough when this team does the dog it thing at home, like they've done so many times a season. But you, you mentioned they're a mess defensively. Uh, they're missing guys. They're going to get McCabe back. It's not like he was playing great before they lost him. Obviously, uh, sorry, Lilligren's going to be out for a long time. Do, do you see internal improvement with this group? Like what, what needs to change? Well, so that first goal, if we're watching it, where was it uh, Kutrov on that one-timer? You're watching Klingberg. You're watching him back in. His head's turning. His feet are everywhere. You watch the other defenders. Same thing. Guys are coming at them on rushes. And it's there's too much thinking. Mm. There's just too much thinking and not enough understanding. Okay, when there's like a three-on-two rush, what is exactly what I need to do? And they just look lost on those fine details of the game, whether it's defensively. They go to this. You know, when the puck starts to move up top, then all of a sudden they go to a bit of a man-on-man, and then guys get beat, and they don't really have big, big, strong D that can box guys out. So that man-on-man style down low, you know, when they get to that hard man-on-man when the puck comes up top, they try to go back down low in the ozone, to me, is not suiting them well. It doesn't suit them well, so structurally there, but also, again, off the rush. What what are we doing defending? Like, are, is our weak side D staying in the middle of the ice, or is he attacking the strong side puck? Meaning, is that D going to go at that attacker, and you're going to hope that your back checkers make it back in time? You know, so there's different strategy that goes into it when when there's rush chances against, right? Your D need to know exactly, is our, is our goalie going to give up the shot, or are we going to take the backdoor pass? And in those instances, to me, when you see these feet crossing over and looking around and they don't really know, to me, it's just they don't, they don't know the details. Or maybe they're not used to what these, this coaching staff exactly needs from them. I get there's new players coming in and out of the lineup, but that to me shows players that don't fully get what they need to do in those circumstances. And it's the happy feet that he's crossing. Like you're, you're assuming the rush. You shouldn't be crossing over. You know, like you should be understanding exactly, okay, am I taking the guy driving the net? My back checker's taking the wide guy or are we shifting over, right? You should kind of be, you should be in one. You should be synchro and, and understanding what you need to do. And again, that first goal and multiple chances off the rush against tell me that some of these guys aren't on the same page or maybe they don't understand the exact details of what they need to do in those circumstances. Well, the guy that comes to mind, though, when you're talking about that is Klingberg, right? Yeah. And, well, and, I, I watch all of them. Riley's yeah. doing well and... You know, Brody gets it. These guys have been here for a while. Klingberg's new. Um, you know, you just, you see it. And that's where I wonder what, you know, do they know exactly what they need to do? Well, how how much longer before you start to give up on that? Yeah, well, you can't give up on Klingberg. Sure, but I don't, I, I mean, give up on the idea that it's going to drastically improve. Uh, I think it improves. 
hundred percent. I think it improves. You just got to, you know, again, back to Klingberg, say defensively, or these new guys coming in, stay within yourself defensively, stay within yourself. You know, what don't you get right now? When you're on this three on two rush against, what don't you get? So again, I think that's a conversation. He's never going to be the best defender in the world. Anyways, you understand that you do got to hide him at times against certain matchups. You got to get him into power play or offensive zone situations. I also kind of think with all him going in these situations, it has freed up Riley to do more. And that's why you're seeing Riley offensively do well. Mm-hmm. Um, but for him, I don't think he just got a, a ban and everything. You just get him super focused on what he needs to do. Hey, this is what we need you to do offensively. But, you know, I, I think that to me always bothers me a little bit on, do they know exactly the details of what this team wants in these scenarios? How tough is it on a team when you're playing in front of a goaltender who oh, has been shaken? Yeah. Samsonov? Yeah, well, that's I was just going to say shaken seemingly psychologically or who's lost a lot of confidence. Yeah, you can't put him back in the net right now. That's mm-hmm. just one thing. You, you got to just ride Wall. You, you got to ride him. Like Samsonov was sideways on the one. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one, he's not even in his net, you know? The first one's just atrocious. Just... Oh, my. Yeah, like Hedman's shot. No, yeah. sorry. That, that was the first. Yeah, first Hedman's was the first. Kucherov. Yeah. Yeah, that first one, he's not even in his net. Mm-hmm. And then on the one I'm talking about where Klingberg, you know, defensively didn't know where he was going, it felt like off the rush, and then they slung it wide side for that one-timer. You know, he, he, he's sideways. Mm-hmm. He, he, it hit him kind of, and it goes in the net because he's sideways. He's not even square. And then, you know, Kucherov is that one one T where, you know, Hedman does a great way to draw him out and then hit him back door for that one T. I don't know if you can always fault him on that. They're, they're going to usually make those plays and shots, but you can't start him. You can't start him. You got to go to wall, try to ride wall until he figures it out. What does that do to the room though? Well, you play better in front of guys you trust yeah. at the end of the day. You make more plays. You're more confident in your your team. You're more confident that if you make mistakes, someone's going to be there to back you up. That piece breathes so much confidence throughout the team. If your team knows that you can't give up a shot, think about the Oilers right now. They're a mess. Mm-hmm. 19 shots, their first three shots against go in in one period. Your entire team changes how they play. Again, they start becoming less creative because, they're like, well, if we give up a shot, then we're screwed. You essentially got to outscore the other team's shot, that type of mentality. And that, to me, is a bad recipe if you're ever going to want to win a hockey game, whether it's the Oilers, whether it's the Leafs, whoever it is with these goalies that are not giving you a chance to win. Now, what happens if the Oilers lose to the Sharks? They all, <laughs> they, again, Thursday. back to them, their coaching staff. Yeah. Like they, they can't be there. They have to make a change. The Oilers have that. Not, not saying the Leafs do. I'm not saying anything about Keith mm-hmm. right now. I'm not, this doesn't mean because you got to fire the Oilers, you got to fire Leafs. So disregard Leafs entirely. Oilers need a new coach. And they all need of one. the Canadian teams, except for Vancouver, is going to end up with a new coach. And they're all going to do it looking yeah. at Vancouver saying they got a new coach, they got a better voice in the room. And that's why they're, that's part of the reason why a lot of their guys are succeeding. Oilers need to do it now. Mm. They need to do it yesterday because they need a new voice in there if they're going to save this season. They got to get a new guy in there. They need, um, change it up essentially and they need a new guy now the Oilers do no doubt in my mind Oof, they I so I stayed up to watch that game last night and oh and I yeah they, I gotta see this I gotta watch a little bit more Canucks and the Oilers are playing and they're in a they were doing the thing and nurse a lot of a lot of nurse doing this of just 
like the, the crybaby, like the fake tough guy stuff where, yeah. hey, we're sticking up, but it's just really guys taking penalties, being fr- like visibly frustrated all game long. And yeah, Demko played great, which he's done all year long. And the Oilers just continuously outshoot teams, right? If you, if you look at it, I think they've, they've, they're basically outshooting their opponents every single night and still not getting any wins because yeah, their goaltending has been, whew, it's been bad. It's, it's just so bad. Yeah. It's, but it's just the, the energy out of there, the record, the expectation. Yeah. Where you're living, all of it is just, uh, I guess, yeah. Fire the coach, but like, I really do. It's, it's wild to say this, but it's a must win game against the sharks on Thursday. You lose that game to the team that has not won any games. I think it's over. Bury the Oilers. Like the sharks might not be the top AHL team. No, it's incredible. It's I saw horrible. One of my favorite things in betting right now is betting the spread against the sharks. And then the live betting, it was the other night they were playing Pittsburgh and Pittsburgh was up, I think three, one, three, nothing, something like that. And I, I teased it to my, the puck line to five and a half goals. I think they won nine one or something. It was just it's it's delightful betting against the Sharks. It's really oh. the best. I would say though the real way I'm making money right now is Sharks live betting. Is that's that's what I'm doing with my life right now. Yeah, they they're terrible. Hey, maybe throw this in there. What do you think of Dubis right now? How's he doing? Oh, he's fine. That's a, this yeah. is this the thing is is I, I for them. It's it's gonna have to be some kind of a real uh, like material change. But I will say that uh, the the crowing that we were doing at the very beginning of the season, in terms of oh Dubas is the the some of the guys that he brought in they they look pretty good. Like from what I've seen, Graves is nice. Wish that he was a Leaf. It's 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 fine. We'll see. Is what I'm saying. But if I here's what you can tell. Here's what you can tell. When people last place. But but when people. But yeah. But when people are not talking about them, I think that's the best sign of where this market is at. With the breakup, like it's just it's not really a thing. It's not a thing until Pittsburgh goes in the playoffs and if they make the playoffs and actually makes noise. I don't think they're going to make the playoffs. I just I don't I don't view this as like a Dubis thing though. Like the writing was sort of on the wall with Pittsburgh being an aging team and an old team, and the 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 big swing trade I think was a fine one given where they were at with the timeline. Like I, I don't know what else they were supposed it's to do. Like when he went to Pittsburgh, like ah oh, Billy Beans here, you know, making magic happen. Look at that Stanley Cup contenders, boom, last place. You Can know? I say though, but, it uh, just feels you. like this season everybody except for Boston and Vegas socks yeah i can kind of agree to that like there's no are there any teams that you're watching where you go and and sorry i should throw vancouver in the the fun good teams colorado colorado i know they have but colorado just got spanked i watched them lose to vegas so stupid the other night like seven nothing six nothing it just yeah i'm sure yes colorado will be fine uh canucks have been awesome dallas has been good uh, but the, the, in terms of the teams that I feel like are awesome, like to the, the Pittsburgh point, I just feel like Pittsburgh, yeah, okay, they dead last, but dead last by what? A game? Two games? But like, what are they removed from like, catching up and being first in the Metro? Four? Three? Three games? It's just yeah, everybody's... Three, three games. Yeah, everybody's just <laughs> mediocre trash. Oh, actually, they're further back than I thought. It's, yeah, the Rangers are first with 17, and they, the Penguins only have eight points. I thought they had more. They got no loser no. points. Yeah, and look at the Atlantic too. Yeah. So. Yeah. 
Well, that's just it. It's like when we're talking about firing the coaches, it's like, well, okay, how many teams are firing the coaches by November 7th? It's just there's a lot of teams that, that want new coaches in the NHL already. I don't know. I just, but I'm not, I'm not looking at Pittsburgh. Yeah. I'm looking at Edmonton. Yeah, no, Edmonton, yeah, Edmonton's goalie, the main one. Goalie is, yeah, the, to me, it's the one team right now that needs a shift in coaching is Edmonton. Mm-hmm. They just need a new voice to come in. I don't know if there's something, you know, psychologically between the goalies now and the coaching staff. There could always be that. Like, oh, God, these coaches don't trust me. I let one in, I'm out, mm-hmm. which is true because that's how I would operate probably. Um, but Edmonton, they need a goalie. Mm-hmm. ASAP. I don't even know where from. Pluto. No, they're screwed on that. Yeah, and they need a new voice. That team, to me, I feel needs something, and they need a refresh, a restart. And goalies just are going to hate Jack Campbell forever for this. Because they, he screwed the market on these guys so bad. This is just one of those deals where anybody without an immaculate long track record is just, you're not getting paid. You're in, Connor Hellebuck, fine. You can get your money, right? Uh, Vasilevsky, fine. You can get your money. But anybody that's coming off of the, like, I, I actually, I, I was thinking about this yesterday. <laughs> so far, Tree Living's, you could make the case that so far, Tree Living's best move as Leafs GM was not giving Samsonov a contract. Yeah. <laughs> that's the, the goalie they got that, that finally won them a playoff series that was stellar for them all year long, making sure that he was on the one-year deal and that you've got a quick ticket out of town is that's it. That was the sharp move. That was the good play. I could, I could also be playing into him a bit too. Like, mm. you know, as a player, as a goalie, it, it becomes hard to operate on one-year deals. Sure. And especially as a goaltender in this market, I'll, I'll defend him there. It becomes very hard to operate on one-year deals. Some guys play great on the last year of their contract, knowing they're going to get paid. That's yeah. different than just playing on a one-year, 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 one-year. That's like a, a Nylander right now. That is way different, playing on your last year of a big contract, knowing you're getting bank again, and you're going to ring it up a bit, than being on one-year, one-year, and then the stress compounds and builds up. So there there could be that playing into Samsonov, too. Mm, yeah, I, I just... Yeah, he he played great the other night. I thought he was terrific against Boston. Uh, he had the almost forty saves really kept him in it for long stretches. The Tampa stuff is though is like that's you've been pulled twice against the one of your biggest rivals. I don't think that yeah he's he's going to get the net. He has to play a bunch this it's week. Like when you said they can't throw him in. No, but it's consistency. Yeah, but that's it. It's just I, I don't. I, I think that we're going to have the highs with Samsonov still. I just I, I can't imagine how this team ever really gets back to the point where they're trusting him uh, to be the game-in, game-out guy. And if you told me, hey, today, who do you think is going to be the goalie when it comes to playoffs, I, I already think it's going to be Wool. Like, in, in, like in, in, unless I like there's an injury, I just think that he fits the team. He's calm in the net. He's big. He makes he makes the easy saves, like the ones you need to make. He doesn't give up the backbreakers uh, the way that Samsonov does. And I just, yeah, to me, that's just going to fit this team. And, and that's what it's going to be going for. But you, I think you're still going to see a ton of Samsonov, especially with the schedule. Yeah. Like, you got to get him in, but yeah. just for wall to start to understand, Hey, I think I am the guy. Yeah. You start to build that mentality into him now. I hope he, so. He, yeah. It's just, yeah, he's also, he's also had some health stuff and he hasn't, played a ton of games and as solid as he's looked this season, it's just, it is, it is going to be interesting to see what kind of workload he can handle and what he looks like 
if he struggles for a couple of games, right? Like what, what it's like if, if it hits the fan for him a little bit. Anyways, uh, we got to run. You got to go. Thanks for making time today, buddy. Again, two-time Stanley Cup champion, uh, inventor, creator of the Clever app, which you can download for free uh, wherever you get your apps. Christopher Stieg, thanks for making time, brother. Yeah, thank you. See you, pal. Uh, all right. Yeah, I guess quick takeaways from that is I am not overly sympathetic to professional athletes who struggle in big markets and when the complaint is made of, oh, it's really hard to play here. Because I, I, I usually look at it through the lens of, well, you know, you, a lot of jobs are really hard. And not every job is this public, but you, most of them ain't getting paid like you are. And they don't come with the upside of your job. And most people that have this don't get the benefit of the doubt of being great. All these different things. Like being a pro athlete in the city, being a Toronto Maple Leaf is... The, when it's talked about like it's a curse, it bothers me sometimes because you go... Hey, if you could be somebody for a day, are you going to be me or are you going to be uh, Tyler Bertuzzi, <laughs> right? Like you're going to have the person who takes the odd barb but also is revered in a way where you go, that's a top player on the Toronto Maple Leafs who makes five and a half million. It's really not that bad. But I do think just like any job, it can start, things can start to wear on you. And it's harder when everybody's watching you and everybody's talking about you, right? I'm sure all of us have dealt with a boss that has looked over our shoulder or somebody that has been paying extra attention to something we're doing because we made a mistake. And it's awful. It's a horrible feeling. And I I can empathize with Bertuzzi where he's got to be carrying a lot of this of, okay, they're telling me to keep it simple, but I just sort of want to play my game. But when I tried to play my game, it wasn't really working and people are really pointing it out. And even if I have a decent game, it's not enough because I didn't get on the score sheet. And all right, if I'm taking out the physicality, I'm not taking a penalty. People are saying that I'm playing soft. People are looking at me on the bench smiling. And maybe it was just a smile. Who cares? Wasn't thinking anything of it. But it's captured by social media. Now every Leaf fan's talking about it saying, I still love the Bruins. Like, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's a lot. And I could see for some guys, them going, just wipe the hands. Forget this. Forget this. Just get through the year, right? Just like you do with your day. Get through today. This day sucks. Get through the day. There'll be tomorrow. Get through this week. Just get to Friday. And you don't want that to set in with him because he's too important. He makes too much money. Secondarily, they're going to have to play Samson off more. But yeah, I think Chris is... Right. Now, I've been saying it for a little while. I just, I think the shakiness of Samsonov is not what this team needs, especially as they're trying to find themselves as a group. And so it's got to be Wool more often than not. I don't know if he's the savior. Um, I'm not sure he's Carey Price. <laughs> Some people have already made him out to be. But I think he's really solid. I think he's good. And I think he calms this team down. And then I like booing. That's it's, it's, booing yeah. is great. Boo. Anybody who tells you not to boo is a baby and wrong. Okay. As you paid good money for your t- tickets, it's your God given right. Yeah. Do your thing. And if the team dogs it and they let in four goals in front of you, after you've spent a thousand dollars to be in the arena, you boo your heart out. Yeah. You do your thing. You let them know that this is not good enough. I love it's just in this city. People say that there's way too much passivity from the fans that it just being mediocre is good enough here. And then the fans boo. And then there's every once in a while, there's the odd person that tries to lecture that. Yeah. It's like, <gasps> how could, you're booing how him? is it helping anything? Yeah. This guy's trying his best, <laughs> except for maybe he's not. So boo. it's sports. You're yeah. allowed to boo. Yeah, Come boo on. Away. Boo away. And booing worked yesterday. Yeah, exactly. Uh, hey, 
This is one where we're putting it in the bank. Big for, win for big win for, big win for booze. Yeah. yeah, Boo Industries. You feel is, the same about the Bronx cheer? Samson I've got. Bronx cheer is uh, is different. It was a little mean. Booing is the team. Bronx cheer is like, hey, thanks, loser. Yeah, I love a Bronx cheer though. Come on. Yeah, it's <sighs> a well timed one. It need, you really need to pick your spots, but a well timed Bronx cheer. Come on. I will say it does depend on the player. Sure. And yeah. some guys it might just ruin, eh? So it's just to me, it's just hard with goaltenders because they already get so much blame. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just goalies yeah. eat so much blame. I, I say this: you're in the net the entire time. You let in a bad goal. I know I'm a goalie sympathizer. All right, Seriously. I know, I know I am. But when a guy has a bad shift, right, an awful turnover, we talk about it for a second, and then it goes away, and then the goalie lets it in. And we're like, oh, was that a bad goal? And then it becomes this, right? They Leafs take a bad penalty. They leave Kucherov wide open. It's the third goal of the game. And all of a sudden, it's just like the game is overwhelming. It just, yeah, I think we're already mean enough to goalies <laughs> that it, it just feels a little like piling on when it, it's, it's a little bit like a kicker. If you put up a couple of 50 yarders, people go, yeah, good game. And if you're consistently the best, like if you're Justin Tucker, People go, man, Justin Tucker is the man, even though Justin Tucker might be lost. He's kind of messing some field goals here. Sneaky. It's a little, little subplot to the Ravens Super Bowl marches that their kicker doesn't have the leg for 50 anymore. Should they bring in some competition? Just saying to my brother. <laughs> he knows. You know, Justin Tucker's got a kick to 54-yarder for the Ravens to win in a big game. Hmm, interesting. At Arrowhead? Feeling a little tight. I don't know. I don't know about that. Wind better be blowing right. <laughs> My point is, is just I feel like sometimes the Bronx cheer, we go, all right, we all get it. This guy feels really bad. He's standing alone in the net. He's he's lifted up that mask, taking the water bottle sip. He's looking in the crowd at people staring daggers through him, hating <laughs> his yeah, guts. I like it. I like got it. Booed, got That's what I'm saying. It's just, cheer, yeah, yeah. And then got cheered when yeah. he left the ice. That's what I'm saying. It's a little harsh. Tough night. But fair. Yeah, exactly. But Tough fair. Night. You, you sucked again. And so... Tough but fair, but it's just yeah. It's there's the players that don't get the Bronx cheer, right? So just it just I I I like equal sharing. Equal opportunity. Yeah, I, I'm a, cheer. yeah, I I like it when everybody gets hit, not just the one person. Then it feels like bullying, you know. Booing is great, line. and then all of a sudden it's it's a, it tips into into <laughs> yeah, that was mean right away. We've all done that before, right? You say a joke, you make fun of somebody, and then all of a sudden you're like, ah, damn it. I was, yeah, that was yeah, a little yeah, too hard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, whoops. Sorry, sorry. Yeah. You're texting after. <laughs> that's, like, that's, sorry, that's, hey, that's, sorry, that's man. Rock's cheer. That's the wrong cheer. Anyway, quick break. Let's come back. Sir Zoe coming up to talk about uh, early NBA season convictions, uh, some Scotty Barnes stuff later in the hour. One of my favorites, Seward Zoe of The Ringer, to talk to me about some early season NBA convictions. And But first, uh, Seward, great to hear from you. But first, you wrote an article about the Harden trade, and I loved it. I liked it, although you're very optimistic about this Harden Contingent on so, so many things, as we all know. Uh, but, yes, the basketball fit. So they, they played their first game tonight together madison square garden no pressure no big deal um so there are a couple yeah there are a couple of things that make me think it could work just from an x's and o's perspective i want to make it very clear that i'm just talking about on the court right now we can talk about the off-court stuff after that so there was a time 
pre-pandemic, long time ago, obviously, a lot has changed since then, that Russell Westbrook and James Harden were teammates. And there was this minor blip right after the trade deadline when they traded Clint Compella and they moved P.J. Tucker to the five, which was then probably the most bold small ball experiment that we've seen thus far. And it worked. It didn't work, it didn't work so well before then. But what happened was Westbrook was shooting a career low in threes during that juncture at that time, playing a very similar style to the style that he's playing now. Actually, I'd say the style that he plays now is an even more dramatic version of that, where he was pretty much playing below the three-point line. I think in this kind of way that I feel like Bruce Brown really revolutionized things for point guards, especially a point guard like Russ, who's not a great shooter, but still has a lot of athleticism, where because of small ball, they can also just like operate as like pick and roll guys and like roll into the paint. And then they can use their playmaking to kind of like make plays from a short roll. He's doing a lot of that. He's obviously a great rebounder. And right now it looks like they're planning on still starting him alongside Harden. So that'll be interesting. There is a version of that that has worked. Now, now you put Kawhi Leonard and Paul George on the wing instead of Robert Covington and, you know, and P.J. Tucker's back, by the way. P.J. Tucker in the trade is part of this experiment. So there is, like, a little bit of a skeleton. There's a little bit of a precedent for this working on the court. Um, they also have a lot of guys that, from the forward position, are really good rebounders. Obviously, Harden uh, is a really good rebounder. Kawhi is a really good rebounder. Paul George is an above-average rebounder for his position. So I think they can get away with playing small ball more often, even in a league that I feel like has increasingly gone back to like playing really big guys, two big guys together. I'm sure we'll talk about Wemby at some point. Uh, so I am, as a basketball fan, really excited to see how this experiment works on the court. Um, yeah, that's the on-court side of it for me. Yeah. Uh, okay, so everything you said makes sense. And I even reading this is okay. This is a real compliment to you and your writing ability is I was reading it, nodding my head going, maybe. And then I got to the part where I was like, oh, right. Uh, Russell Westbrook is going to be now waiting on Kawhi Leonard for the plane to leave and for James Harden for the plane to leave. And the first time, the first time they go through a bad week or a bad stretch or there's a game where Harden's not really feeling it, or he partied too hard the night before. I I think it all I think it all falls apart. But you know, I, I, but my biggest takeaway from this piece, and what I, I really wanted to ask you from it too, is when can you ever remember a team that had so much at stake for four guys, legacy wise? Like I, I was thinking about it. If Harden wins, then so much goes away. The three trade requests in three years gets mm-hmm. a lot smaller. All of a sudden, he's actually an NBA champion. The, the Zach Lowe dubbing of uh, guard Carl Malone goes away. Kawhi's choice to leave Toronto and the load management legacy kind of just evaporates and says, yeah, he made the right choice. It's three wins on three teams. Westbrook, who everyone said, yeah, great stats, but you can't win with him. He becomes a winner. And then the playoff P, which I think most of us have kind of pushed aside now. It, it's become smaller, but it's still a thing. Like, I think that when people mention Paul George, they say playoff P, and it's still a bit of a joke. That becomes irrefutably over. I thought those four guys, if they can make this work, if, if that can be communicated to them, like when's the last time we had a team that was quite like this? 
Oh, I think, I think that's the thing. It's like it doesn't really need to be communicated to them. I think they very much understand that. Um, you know, Harden in his press conference, which was very, very spicy, um, oh, yeah, I think right. the biggest thing that was taken away was his comments about Maury, that he didn't, you know, address Maury, but the comments were about Maury. And the, I'm, you know, I'm not a system player quote as well were kind of what were the big takeaways. But, like, that whole press conference, what really stood out to me were two things. One, that he is really driven to prove that he is not the player that everybody else is saying that he is, that he is able to sacrifice and play with other stars. He's willing to do that. And that was kind of his answer on the Russ thing. Somebody asked him, you know, how they're going to fit together. And I guess apparently they have mended their relationship since everything that went down in Houston. Uh, I'm not too sure. I don't have, like, too many details on that, but they seem like they're okay. Like, they, they said that they're, like, pretty often in touch. I think one of them said that they talk about once a week or so. Um, and what Harden said, essentially, was me and Russ both have a lot to prove. So, and, like, a lot, they both have the same thing, essentially, to prove. Now, there's a reason they have to prove it. They have a history about being able to do the things that they're being asked to do right now. So there's definitely a tension there. And I think the thing that's going to be interesting is, to your point, what happens when there is the first sort of moment where the Clippers, which are a very team-friendly, player-friendly organization that really try to understand what their players need and cater to them, when there is the first sort of conflict within that, if there is a conflict, if there is, to your point, like a is Westbrook is pissed that Harden and Kawhi are, uh, are late for a plan or something like that. And that that's going to be fascinating, I think. The other thing is sometimes, sometimes it's not such a good thing to have so much to prove. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's one thing that makes me feel like this is potentially really combustible. It's a lot of pressure to be under. And I think it's, just one of those things where sometimes you actually thrive more in conditions where you need to sacrifice and whatnot when you feel a little bit more secure in your legacy. Um, I think, and that kind of stuck out in the hardened presser too, where he kind of continually, you know, Doc also got it in the hardened presser. Just, you know, he said that he felt like he was put on a leash. And, you know, looking back at those Sixers, especially kind of seeing what Nick Nurse has done with them and, how much freer the, uh, the guys are playing. Like, I can definitely see where he's coming from. Um, but at the same time, like, that's, that's kind of going to be the challenge, right? Like, he wants to still be himself. I think these guys all need to be themselves in order to win. And I think Kawhi actually had a really – Kawhi actually had a really interesting insight on that as well, where he was asked about it. He was, like, asked about sacrifice. He was essentially saying, you know, I think there's a balance of selfishness and sacrifice where – they can't go out in games and assume that somebody else is going to take the load off of them. You know, they still have to go out and try to dominate. And within that, they're going to have to find a way to make it work. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. We'll see how this goes. I, Only a few I'm hours away from them. debut. I'm rooting for them in some weird way because they're all around my age. And I, I'm now <laughs> aging out of – pro sports age and and I'm just like no no we can still do it guys like we as a group we as a collective can be doing this but uh I'm and I'm a little bit removed now from the 
bitterness of Kawhi leaving Toronto and thinking, man, you should have just stayed and you defied the uh, kind of the golden rule, which was run it back. So I'm not as anti-Clipper as I used to be. I I just think that what the problem might end up being is these guys actually do feel that fuel, that pressure of wanting to do more, wanting to feel better. And then just ultimately Kawhi's weirdness might take over. And, And I don't think that he feels that pressure. I think that he feels pretty secure in his legacy. And that ultimately, yeah, I, I don't know if this group is going to be able to cater to him the way that the Raptors catered to him. And, and I think mm-hmm. that's just where it falls apart. That plus, you know, Nikolai Jokic is going to come in there, and if they play them in a playoff series, he's going to destroy them. Yeah, that's, that's, that's sort of the other thing hanging over all of this and hanging over every team that's trying to make anything happen in the Western Conference. Like, the Clippers could be a roaring success based yeah. on what we're kind of ex- expecting from them. And... Jokic still exists, and the Nuggets still exist, and they're still. It, it feels like the right now it's really early, but it feels like we're kind of on a collision course towards Celtics versus Nuggets, and like no team. There are teams that are promising right now, but no team has convinced me that they're going to change that. So this is a great pivot into the NBA early season convictions part of the the program here, because so I've got a few things written down. Um, I, and I do wonder if if you'll feel the same about some because one of the first ones is that I, like my early NBA season conviction is that the finals is Denver and Boston and and uh, the way I, I like those teams I think those teams have looked really good so far Boston has been shockingly good even though I expected them to be solid I didn't expect it to look like this good Denver is Denver I, when I looked at everybody's off season I thought okay. Um, you didn't do enough. You didn't do enough to catch up with this team, especially with like the first game of the year, the Lakers, after an entire offseason of talking. And then it was just, oh, actually, you, you two still don't seem all that close. And Los Angeles looks like they're built to, to face that team with all the size. But I think that the way to really frame this is the Bucks and the Suns look way too thin. And, and I know that we're still waiting mm-hmm. on the whole Bradley Beal to show up part of this and that it's going to take time for Dame and for Giannis to actually coalesce. But... I just don't see the pieces around those star players in those two spots to say that they're going to be able to to, to push those other two teams in a seven-game series. Yeah, this was always – look, start with the Suns. This was always the issue as soon as they got together, right? Like, are they too top-heavy? And now you – This the other part of the issue is that we knew that Bradley Beal is injury-prone. And while Devin Booker for his career is not injury-prone, the last few years he, is def, he definitely dealt with more injuries, Right. Um, and Kevin Durant, you know, it's just like it's he's he's a healthy one right now, but it is so much to put on him to be essentially like he's been everything for them. He's been everything for them. I worry about him he's every trying night. His best. Every night. Yeah. Every night. And he is I mean, he's at this age now where he is so he's so smart and he's so cagey and he he's like a man, like he he's he like snipers in on easy basket opportunities. But it's also because, you know, like, I think he knows that there's a scarcity there. He needs to be able to capitalize on every single opportunity that he has because he can't just be going one-on-one all the time. So, yeah, I, and that, that, that's how I've always felt about them. And then there's also just – and then there's also just the matter of Yusuf Nurkic. You know, like, he's not had the start to the season on offense that you'd hope that he would have, especially given – that Booker and Beal aren't around. He's shooting 37% from the field right now. And this is a historically really efficient player. And then on top of that, it's like, that's the reason he's here. Your defense is going to suffer a lot 
with uh, with Nur- with Nurkic as you know essentially your primary rim protector. They've done a good job. I think I think Josh Okogi has been incredibly promising. I think he's been like one of the biggest bright spots. I think Eubanks has actually been really good in his minutes as well. I think he should. I would not be surprised to see him play more and more minutes as the season goes on. So like and and good one too. Like so they are figuring it out on the margins with some of those guys. But I think that they're going to need perfect health. They're going to need all those role players I mentioned to play really well together. And then I still don't really know how you deal with Jokic. And not just Jokic, but just, look, like you need some level of defense to win a championship. I love this experiment. I think it's really fun. I think it will be really fun to watch when they're all healthy, if they're all healthy at the same time. Like, it may be a similar story to to the Nets where we got, like, what, how many games did we ever get of Harden, Kyrie, and and and, and uh, Durant together? Was it, like, 11 or something? It wasn't a lot. Yeah, it was It was very few. You know what, though? I, it's funny because I had the same thought about Kogi where I went, oh, this guy is pretty nice. But now I keep I, – I, every time I was watching it, I, I felt like I, it was Stockholm Syndrome and I had to wake myself out of it and go, no, 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 you think he's really good and he looks really important to this team because he has to be because the rest of the guys are terrible. Like I, I don't know if he's actually good. I think he's fine, but it's just the rest mm-hmm. of the players on the team are – Horrific, and if we're doing like if we're translating the rest of the you know early season convictions, I I gotta feel like Aiton had to be the most impossible player to be around in the NBA. Say what you will about Harden, at least he has friends. But Aiton's leading the league in rebounds, and he looks good. I've actually watched two Portland games, which is possibly a sickness, and I I also have another. I actually have another Portland thing. Portland is fun. Portland is actually good. Portland has pieces that I enjoy. I watched them again last night, and they blew it to Memphis. But I, I, I like they might actually become one of my teams that I I stay up late and watch. But Dayton is good, and your Yusuf Nurkic is bad, and and I don't understand that trade. It's already done. That trade is so bad outside of the team chemistry thing, and I feel like. We already need you to do the deep dive on how this trade happened and what was going on behind the scenes with Aiden, because I know some of it's public, but my God, it must be so much worse than we can ever imagine after watching Nurkic for mm-hmm. even just like, I think I've seen maybe three or four of these Suns games, the the two losses to San Antonio, because I'm watching as much Wemby as possible, but he's bad, and I don't mm-hmm. know why they thought he was going to be good. Yeah, yeah, man, I, I don't know anything beyond what the rest of us know. So I have all the same questions, especially you're coming in with a new coach and Frank Vogel, who's also really defensive minded. Maybe you see if things can turn. You also got Chris Paul, who it seems like was the guy that Aiton had the most friction with out of there as well. Now, maybe those guys, the other thing is, I mean, like, but, but I was, I was about to say like, maybe they're, they just had too much experience with him, but book is actually the only guy that's kind of left from that original run. So, Maybe it's a matter of him and Booker, but at the same time, I feel like Book is such a gamer. Like you could maybe get him to understand. Maybe there's something about maybe there's something about Aiton's, you know, inconsistency. Like what he's been criticized for, like his lack of competitiveness for most of his career. Uh, there was, you know, his sort of like, oh, he's really sitting out this game thing in the playoffs too. So maybe. Maybe he just couldn't stomach that. But at the same time, I feel like you have to have patience, right? Like we just saw this with 
the Sixers side with, with Harden, right? Like, it's not like it was a good situation. It was an interesting situation where I feel like Harden's kind of at an age where, um, and just as a teammate, he didn't, it felt like he didn't want to torpedo the chances of a team that he had like gotten to know and players that he had gotten to know pretty well. So he wasn't going to be the absolute worst about it. And he like, you know, like now listen to Tyrese Maxey on his podcast talking about James after and was like very complimentary of how he felt him with his career. And I think like he, maybe he didn't want to jeopardize that. So my point is like, I don't want to talk about Harden again, but my point is maybe he could have waited because you yeah. traded him at the absolute bottom of his trade value in a moment where he kind of could have been the perfect guy for you guys in terms of rim protection, in terms of rebounding, in terms of doing the dirty work. He doesn't love doing that stuff. If he shows he can do it, maybe maybe things just work out a little bit better. I don't know. I, 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 I can't understand it. At the time, I thought, okay, they're just dumping Aiton. They hate Aiton. But now watching these games and thinking, okay, Booker has had health problems throughout his career. Beal is someone who misses a lot of time. Durant is someone that they're going to want to rest. And and Durant is playing the five in so many of these lineups. And yeah, all right, mm-hmm. the Eubanks thing, mm-hmm. you're right, fine, whatever. They keep running Nurkic out there. I can't help but think of how beneficial it would be for the Suns to have had him through a couple of these Wemby games that they've yeah. blown. If they could have just said, you mm-hmm. know what, I know you want more touches. You're going to get more touches when these guys aren't playing. And then come playoff time, mm-hmm. we'll have some chemistry with you as, as a as a role man with a couple of these guys. Like, right. the amount of work that's on Durant, this is what I'm saying is, I, I just, I, when I said I'm terrified for him every single game, I don't want to see Durant playing 35, 36, 37, like, real leverage minutes in November, mm-hmm. early November, right? This is way too much for him. And then I'm watching the, it's like, they got Grace and Allen, I don't get, I don't get it, and yeah, Nurkic can barely play. So I, I just, whew, it is a bad trade. It is just an unbelievably bad trade. And you know what? Maybe this is time for me to just kind of pivot to my Portland love. So this is an early season conviction. Um, the Blazers might have a franchise player, but it's not Scoot. <laughs> yes, he's got. He's twenty points yeah. a game. He's yeah. so bouncy. He can hit a three off the dribble. He had a block in the mm-hmm. play-in game the other night, like to to seal getting them to an overtime. You've already got Chauncey mm-hmm. Billups talking about him like we're trying to develop just championship mentality. This is a guy that didn't play college basketball. Like he just didn't play. And he showed up and he's 20 mm-hmm. years old and he can already do all of these awesome things at the NBA level. And, and I'm like, what are you going to be when you're 24 years old? Like what are you going to be when you're 25 years old? I'm I'm in shambles because – there was that rumor from a year ago that the Raptors could have gotten him for OG plus a pick. And, and I'm thinking, oh, my God, this uh, alternate timeline, the Raptors may have had this guy. I don't know. I, I think that the Blazers have more people or more players and pieces than people realized coming mm-hmm. out of the Dame thing. And I just like they're going to have some yeah. maneuverability with some of these dudes. But if, if Shaden Sharp is, I don't know, hits 85% of his ceiling, is he not a franchise player? I was going to ask you, actually, would it hurt you if I nicknamed him Shaden could have been a Raptor Canadian Sharp? Is that I, you know, I personally? Just, I can't. I can't. I think about it. I, I, I really – it's the only thing that hurts me watching these games is I keep thinking about what he would have been like as a Raptor. If it was like they had him and Scotty Barnes right now and how different I would feel about the yeah. Raptors' future versus what they have now. Yeah. Yeah. Here's, here's my hot take. On, on the Trailblazers. Maybe it's not too hot of a take. Uh, obviously, you know, like, Scoot, 
it's taken a little bit more time. I'm not really ready to have any strong opinions on him yet. But are they going to be too good too fast? Are they going to be a team that, like, tries yep. to make the play-in and then doesn't get a high lottery pick as a result and then kind of we circle back, we, like, circle the drain again with no, because they'll a trade Portland Brogdon. team that's, like, just on the cusp? No, because if they trade Brogdon, a lot of mm-hmm. it's going to fall apart. Like, he's he's so that's important. That, that's true. Just settling things down and making them a mature team. As soon as he goes, that's that's going to be, I think, the argument for them when they're making these trades is they're going, is keeping Malcolm Brogdon better for the development of Shaden and Scoot? Or do we have to give Scoot the reins this early and let him sort of mm-hmm. develop? Because the this I know, again, it's only a couple of games, but there's already criticism about how he doesn't get to the free throw line. And by he, I mean Scoot. And how, hey, maybe he's a little too hesitant and having someone like Brogdon. But no, Brogdon can actually run an NBA offense. Brogdon has been on competitive teams. He's, a, he's, he's one of those guys that just can't go into checkout mode. He's, he's incredibly important mm-hmm. for them being competitive. If they remove him from it, they're going to go into the tank. They, they can't win with the team they have and no Brogdon. That's true. That's true. So maybe it's like a Utah Jazz situation. Is that is that what they could be? Are they, yes. are they last year's Utah Jazz? Yes. Or like just they get off to a really great Collins. start and then they just trade. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, well, they, I mean, it's like the Con- the Conley trade could be kind of their Brogdon trade. Mm. Maybe that's the one for them. Either way, I just I, I think Sharp could could really be somebody, and and it's going to be a bit of a slow yeah. build, but I think like it mm-hmm. that this is my early season conviction that like two months from now. There's going to be a lot of talk about Shaden Sharp. I think you're right. I think you're right. Um, just kind of even like looking at his his shooting numbers too. Like he's yep. he's kind of like th- that's that's. I mean, I think that's also something we're kind of seeing from Scotty Barnes this year too. But when you're a guy that big and you're hitting your pull up threes and you're aggressive, it's just kind of over. It's really hard to guard you after that. You know, I think that's kind of what we're seeing from him, too, because, like, that's kind of always been – he's always just been scary athletic, like, puts, can put so much pressure on the rim. Now that he's reliably hitting that shot, it's going to be terrifying. I, I think he's fearless. I, I think that he – Yeah. It's almost, it's almost like playing or not playing college helped him because he doesn't know any better. That he's just going out there. He's like, yeah, I can, I can do this. I've, I've done this in the gym against my friends. I've done this at like pickup games. I'm dominant, and that's the way that he's treating NBA games. But yeah, he's shooting almost forty percent, and a lot of these threes are off the bounce. He's, he, I, again, he's gonna have to dial it in to a certain degree to make some better decisions. But mm-hmm. he's twenty years old, and the rest of it is completely spectacular. And, and I, I just yeah. watching these games early so this season, I, all I can think of is. How did we all miss this? I guess because he didn't play. But I didn't read any articles coming out of Portland about like Shaden Sharp and this year and this being this way. I thought it would be like a lottery ticket that we would see three, four years down the line that he would turn into an okay player. I didn't think mm-hmm. that he was going to be this already. And I'm, I'm blown away by I, it. Yeah. I don't think that anybody could have known. So one of, uh, one of my old co-hosts for the, for the answer, Kyle Mann, has been like one of the biggest Shaden Sharp observers throughout, you know, pretty much from, I would say, like, the time he was 16. And I think that the things that you mentioned are actually why it's been really tough to evaluate him. We just haven't really had much of a chance, right? And then in Portland last year, he was kind of playing more of a bit role as well. So, like, 
yeah, he showed some promise in his minutes, but there is no way to assume that this is the jump he was going to make to the point where, like, I feel like, like he's got to shoot up the most important, uh, most improved player rankings potential here because this is not a guy that was like we had we had Cade Cunningham as a guy that was tackling. You know, like he wasn't really with Scotty Barnes, who, by the way, like he's up there too. Like he should definitely be in that running as well. But it was, I think. It would be hard to look at what he did last season and assume this level of improvement. Like his minutes have nearly doubled, you know. Mm-hmm. I just i I love him. <laughs> I'm such a huge yeah, fan. Yeah, he's awesome. Like I said, I've watched. I've sat through two miserable Memphis Grizzlies games. Okay, <laughs> like I'm watching the Grizzlies and I hate them. And I, they're horrible. They're so bad. They they went from being yeah. the deepest team in the NBA to a, a group where it's just, hey, they have no one else. They have no one. They have two guys, and that's it. And then I'm going, you know, they really need Luke Kennard <laughs> for a lot of minutes. It's not good. It's really not good in Memphis. They need John yeah. to come back immediately. But that's how much I like Shaden Sharp is I watched the Grizzlies yeah. twice in a play-in game and then last night where it was just, yay, for, yeah, my own. I, I was watching them instead of the Monday Night Football game. Like, I had both on, but I really wanted to watch Shaden play. Okay, so – then maybe that just brings us to Scotty. You know, l- let's put it this way. What's, what's your early season Raptors conviction? I- I'm guessing it has to do with Scotty Barnes. Yeah, I think whatever, whatever you can do from this moment forward, especially after that game last night, to find a way to build around Scotty Barnes, you do it. You know, like, I think the biggest thing for the Raptors right now is just they need more shooting. You know, like I think – for the talent that they have on the court and for the lack of playmaking that they have on the court outside of Scotty, they become a pretty good passing team. They're moving the ball around pretty well. I would argue it's almost a little too egalitarian at times, which might be the reason that I think Pascal is struggling early this season. Alongside, I mean, there's just some numbers with him that are like genuinely confusing that I kind of wonder if it'll just bounce back a little bit too. Uh, but with him, I'm just like with, – from, from here on with the Raptors, just like, okay, you guys are like an all-time offense, like one of the best offenses of all time when Otto Porter plays. So what does that tell you? You know, like, let's let's get some shooting in the building. Let's get some shooting in the building. Let's, you know, let's keep running it, like running it back with Scotty and OG. Like, that was a beautiful thing about the second half yesterday i think the first half yesterday i think i think honestly the raptors struggle to just play basketball like just on a on a fundamental level of like do you like just play, like ha- having a command of the sport it was a really rough first half like the turnovers were just awful uh but seeing them come back and then seeing it also go from like the spurs trying to figure out like okay we got to plug the og hole and then all of a sudden scotty just pops up and has like the best game of one of the best games of his career, certainly like I think the best half of his career. Um, yeah, it's like, it's definitely, it's, it's shifted where I'm thinking, like, I guess it necessarily hasn't really shifted what I think about the Raptors. I still think that they should just make some, like they should probably trade Siakam and build around Scotty for the future. And that, this just vindicates that in my opinion. Yeah. Okay. So that's I, what I had written down is the Raptors are Scotty Barnes's team and it's never going to work with Siakam as his co-pilot. Um, if you remember uh, when Lowry left, Siakam was elated 
at the idea that he was going to get his own team, that he was going to get his own opportunity. He was like telling everyone. He even went to the New York Times. It was weird. <laughs> he went to the New York Times was like, I want to tell my story and say about how much I can't wait to be the Raptors' go-to guy. I What I see is, is clearly Scotty Barnes has extreme buy-in to the new coach. He mm-hmm. wants to move the ball. He wants to be the future. It's a young coach. It's a young player. There's some guys around him that I think have completely bought into this team. And I don't think Siakam has completely bought in. And, and I know that this is uh, a bit of a leap of just me watching games. But he's talked about how he likes playing with Joey. Oh, well, he said we'll and, see, you know. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and he, does, he, just, he does not look happy. And why would he be happy? He wanted a big contract extension. He said Toronto was the place that he wanted to be. And Masai Ujiri was like, no. <laughs> we're, we'll play it out. Even though we just let Fred mm-hmm. VanVleet walk in free agency, we're still going to play this thing out. And mm-hmm. yeah, I, I do wonder though, if it's going to start to become a thing. And this was always my fear about them not taking the Atlanta offer or them trying to squeeze too much from every single team when it came to the Siakam deal is what, what are you going to get from him or for him now, especially considering I'm not sure how much better it's going to be. Right, like I, I don't know if this is going to be a, a thing that, as the season goes on, all of a sudden we're trying to talk ourselves into, oh, you know what? Though it's the two-headed monster. I, I think that's done. I think that this is just mm-hmm. Scotty's team, and they probably made a mistake not pivoting a little bit earlier. Like now they have the information for sure about Scotty, but now that information might hurt them in terms of the way that they deal with Siakam, that next step, that next domino. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I'm with you. It's a. Uh... I still think they should have extended him. Because now it's like the other the other side of this is that every day that passes, like there's a reason I think that the James Harden trade went so early. They wanted yeah. to have the next 76 games to find a way to figure it out with him. He only has one year left on his contract. He, you know, had that Chris Haynes leak where, you know, he basically said that he isn't going to extend with any team that trades for him. Like, we'll, we'll see about that. Uh, I think it would depend on the team and, and all that stuff. But he's still a really good player. I think, you know, just in terms of the way he's playing, he will bounce back. Like there's just, he's just missed shots that he normally makes as well. Like there's just an element of that too. Uh, he looks clunky out there. So maybe that's just a lack of rhythm as well. I also think that like, as much as they are moving the ball around, it does behoove them to find a way to make Siakam fit in a little bit more. It's not like this offense is like, you know, you know, burning the tops of buildings. Like they do need more, you know? Uh, so, I do think that as far as on the court right now, I think it can and probably will. I think this is the worst it kind of gets for Siakam. Like, he's he's a really good player, you know? Um, yes. And I don't think it necessarily impacts his trade value too much. Like, you mentioned the Hawks. I don't know. I kind of, like, look at it. I'm like, do you want to go back to the Hawks? Cause, like, I think I, the Hawks are fine. That, that, yeah. Like, yeah. I, I think that the Hawks are probably thinking, you know what? Probably better we didn't make that trade. Yeah. Which is bad. Yeah, and that, that's way, kind of a, the that's a risk. That's yeah, that's a risky run the whole time, right? Yeah. Um, so that's that's a tough one. Like you know, like I think you were potentially going to get DeAndre Hunter at the bottom of his value, and he is it's early, but he's having a much better season this season. All of his numbers are up. Um, he's like a positive for them. So that maybe that greases the wheels for a Raptors trade because I think that originally it was trying to kind of 
trying to be sold as DeAndre Hunter was an asset in a trade. I don't think he was last season. I think he is this season. So maybe that's still out there. Who knows? Um, we'll also see how it's six games in. I still think the Hawks are a pretty volatile team. We'll see how it all shakes out. Um, but, yeah, I just think they should. Like, to, that's the point. They, they should have extended him or they should have traded him. And that stands now as well. Like, every day that this guy is on your team, regardless of how he plays, is another day that a team that wants to trade for him won't have his contract. So, like, that, I, that to me is going to be the biggest reason his value goes down. I, I keep thinking that there eventually can be a trade surrounding Chris Paul's contract coming back to Toronto and the Warriors going, whoops, we did this out of desperation. Siakam going to Golden State, and then uh, some of the young guys and picks coming back to Toronto. Like that to me is okay. Who do you who do you want from the Warriors? Well, the thing is, is that I don't really love any of. I, well, actually, I like Moody. I liked Moody in the draft, and I like Moody now. And I wondered if mm-hmm. they could get uh, like a Moody with because they've got what it's, they've got a Grizzlies pick. I was looking at it the other day. Yeah. They've got they've they've got a sneaky amount of draft picks that mm-hmm. if you're Masai, you could take in a deal back and you could say, Okay, we're gonna take Chris Paul and this is kind of a good spot where you're only it feels like Chris Paul is good around young guys for a year. You know, like it was good if you're gonna say, Hey, here's the track record, it was good for Shea for a year. It was good for Aiden for a year. There was a moment during the playoffs <laughs> when they made it to the finals where we were all going, you know what? As much as you would have taken Luca with that pick, look at what Aiden is doing until he ran into Giannis. And mm-hmm. maybe, just maybe, if we're talking about like some of the playmaking stuff, you could put Chris Paul on this Raptors team. The only problem is he's, I want to get the hell out of here and I want to win. I don't want to be the babysitter or the caretaker for a team. But I, I, don't, I don't hate the idea of bringing that contract back and saying, here's Siakam, now give us like a complete treasure trove of players and, and really try to win around Steph, Clay, and uh, Draymond one last time. Because I, I think that the Warriors are still short, and I don't see a way for them improving unless it's trading Clay or trading Chris Paul. Mm-hmm. So here's the thing, though. Like, so far, the Chris Paul experiment is working. Yeah. Like, it's, it's working real well. It's working but real this, well. Like that, but that's what I'm their saying. Their bench with, with Chris Paul is winning them games right now. Yes, I would also want back to Jensky. I feel like of all the, all, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I mean, like, I, th- I think that's something to keep a keep an eye on. But at the same time, it's like I just don't think that necessarily happens right now. I also, by the way, if we're if if the Raptors are trading with the Warriors, I want Pajemski. Yeah, he is he is yeah. a rookie that has stood out to me more than anybody else. Yeah, he looks good, and they loved him too, right? Like they. They were obsessed with him apparently before the draft. They kept it a real secret. They went in and, and grabbed him, and you're right. He, he really works for them. And, and so far, I don't think that that's going to be the thing that happens. I just mm-hmm. I, I don't think that the Chris Paul thing's going to hold. And, again, team older than me in the NBA. So I, I love Chris Paul. He's one of my favorite players. But I, I just I don't see the Warriors competing for a championship as they're currently constructed. And I think that's kind of what they have to all be about. All right, I have one more early season conviction. Do you have anything else that you want to cover before I get to it? Uh, No. Okay. Okay, here goes this, because I saw you tweet, um, he's me, about the in-season tournament, and I'm the same way, where I keep having to Google how it works. Um, But I think the in-season tournament is a huge hit. 
And I will yeah. think this until someone wins, though. Because I think when you win it, that's when you have to be like, oh, right. That was, that was mm-hmm. nothing. You won nothing. But during, like, <laughs> so far, so far, I found myself, the, the NBA regular season has sucked. Uh, not this season. I just mean in general. We're, we've been at a point mm-hmm. with, like, load management, all these things. So far, it feels like guys have bought into not doing load management and the same thing. Like, that, that rule change has been real successful. But they changed up the courts. It looked like something different. And I just felt like the players were trying harder. And I mm-hmm. like it looked like everybody bought in. It seemed a little bit playoff game-ish. And so, no, mm-hmm. I don't think that if you're looking at it through the lens of, boy, if you win, it's really something. It's going to be a loss. But in terms of feeling like you injected something new and exciting and different and a real regular season thing, I thought, man, if someone told me, hey, I have Raptors tickets for the play-in game or, or sorry, the in-season games, I would say, let's go. I'm excited. Let's let's do this. Mm-hmm. Let's go see the horrible court and the horrible jerseys. <laughs> okay, so I have to be clear about something. Um, the tweet that you're referencing was, I said he saw me in – reference to Bones Highland on the in-season tournament saying, I'm not even going to lie. I don't even know what's going on. I meant that generally, just as a human being in all circumstances. Okay. Just in all things. Okay. I think the the in-season tournament, and I don't know what this says about me, is actually something I probably have more of a grasp on than the average thing. Uh, But I imagine (laughs) you're the same way. We just No, I swear. I swear I've Googled it four (laughs) times. I'm like, wait, so what you (laughs) – if you lose what happens, I keep – no, I've, I've, I've shamefully Googled it way too many times. I also have another hot take. Um, I love the courts. There's just something they do Some to my brain. Good. Like, I don't I, – I was, I was listening to um, – one of the folks I play pickup basketball with released an album – and it was kind of like it was like new medley electro poppy like total just brain tickle that i was listening to while having to play in games on mute um with like four screens on at the same time and i felt like there was like a kaleidoscope in my apartment it was an incredible experience i feel like i was it was like getting like uh like like chakra color therapy at the same time. Like I had a lovely Friday, just like staring at these courts. It was just like the exact level of stimulation that I need in my life when I'm like in my apartment by myself. So I thought it was awesome. I love the courts. Um, I, I, I understand that I'm in the minority here, but you know, I'm just, Sometimes no, I like a lot of them. There's just up. some like the the Pacers game. I think it was where it was like all blue with a yellow streak down the middle because it was the first one, and I tuned in for mm-hmm. it and I went, "Whoa, this is." It just it took me a little bit, right? Like it just it took me a little bit. There's some that I enjoyed. I thought the Pacers one was tough for my television. The, pa- the Pacers one could have been better. I'll, I'll give you that. The Pacers one could have been better. <laughs> it was just so much blue. <laughs> I, I, I went, this this feels off. It was just, it didn't, there's a lot of blue courts too. I think there's like six or seven that are in weird blue colors. And it, it's giving me like Boise State vibes. I, I don't know. I, I think the courts are fine. I, I don't like really have an issue. the college atmosphere though. It's fun. I think it's yeah. like you kind of, it is a good differentiator, especially like given how much some of these teams are trying. And also given yeah. that like, I feel like this is going to be a young man's game, you know, like, we talked about the Blazers. What if the Blazers, like, 
have a have a nice in season tournament run. You know, like that can be interesting. I can't wait to text you at, you know, midnight my time being like, are you watching the Blazers as they play, you know, the Timberwolves <laughs> on a Tuesday? Because this is totally what's happening now. I, I like the, the amount of Blazers talk that got in here is, uh, yeah, more than has ever been done on a, on a Toronto-based show. Thank you, Sirit. Uh, we got to run. We appreciate the time as always. Uh, got to take a quick break, and then I want to hear what you guys have to say so far about the in-season tourney. So as we know, some things take forever when you need to be on hold for them. I'm doing this final close out of the show while on hold for something. <laughs> and I'll just so uh, if you hear that little Risky. bit of, hold on here, listen. <laughs> That's the, okay. most the soothing tones. Because it takes so long and I had to, I have to do it because it's actually like a, a pressing issue. Um but Can I give you a stat Adam Silver is gonna frame? Yeah, sure. It's the first day of the NBA in-season tournament, yeah. which was last Friday, the average margin of victory was 4.9 points. Oof. For a minimum yeah, of awesome. seven games, that's the second smallest yeah. margin of victory in the last 10 seasons. Yeah, so uh, like this is how we're going to close out today. Is I, I, It's one set of games. Maybe this changes at some point, but so far, how, you guys are both pretty big. Armin, Simon, you're both huge basketball fans. How do you feel about the tournament so far or the, just what you've seen. The games are great. That's cool. Yeah. I still don't really understand like what it, no one does what it's about or what the winner gets other than just straight cash. No I mean, on the That's courts, they get. they get straight cash on me. The courts are cool. Like I'm, I'm zagging and thinking the courts are cool. Why not? Everybody, it's like a I, weird fever dream. Of I think a, everybody thinks the courts are actually pretty cool. Yeah, People like to dunk up, but yeah, I don't know. No, Armin, no, what I, do you got, some man? Of them are First ugly. of all, I don't know how you started five games into the season. Like, like the whole incentive was to make, there's so much going on already. There's so many storylines every night. Anthony Edwards is cooking the Celtics, whatever. Like something's going on every night to, to bring this tournament in five games into the season. I just, I just felt like it was too early, Simon. I don't know. I, uh... <laughs> of course I knew it. I knew it was going to happen this way. Anyways, I, I like it too. Uh, I, I really like the in-season tournament. I don't What'd mind like the course. Well, we got to go. We got to, we got 20. You're like, hey, 20 seconds of these. He's like, what do you like about it? I talked about it with Sierra to a degree, but Plus, perhaps I just more like that it's competitive games and that it's something different and new. Anyway, subscribe to this podcast. Leave five stars. We're going to be talking about this more after the Raptors play the in-season tournament. I think, what, this Friday? Next Friday. Yeah, the, the next Friday. All right. Uh, we got to run. We'll see you tomorrow.